I'm a little bit teary, you guys, so let's see if I can read this. Uh, we're reading from Psalm 3 today, and you can find this in your pew Bibles on page 448. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, testing, one, two, three. Okay. Well, it's good to uh, be back and see everyone again. Um, I think as Jamie was up here and doing the children's message, I was uh, very glad that she chose uh, verse uh, five or six instead of seven. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the t teeth of the wicked. Um, I won't be covering too much of that today, so I'll just go over this part, although it sounds disturbing. Um, King David, he's being raw. That's what's on his heart. And at the same time, he's saying, let justice be served by you, O Lord, not by my hands. And I'm going to unpack a lot of the context here because his third son, uh, Absalom, is, is the one that's um, bringing justice into his own hands. So let me start off by saying, um, I, I, I really enjoy uh, coming back to uh, see uh, a group of believers who are on a, on a journey in life and seeing the Lord sanctify uh, us all together. Um, and I know this is strange to hear, but it's especially encouraging to hear um, that all of us, were struggling with some type of sin, and in the midst of understanding our own sin, we're growing in our knowledge of God's grace. That's the exciting part. And if you're here today, if you have a guilty conscience or if your heart is very heavy, um, maybe your, your ghost of the past is haunting you, I'm glad you're here today because we're going to learn a lot about King David and how he approached God on his, on his throne. So let me uh, begin with a story. A backpacker is traveling through Ireland when it starts to rain. He decides to wait out the storm in a nearby pub. Now, the only other person in the bar is an older man staring at his drink. And after a few moments of silence, the man turns to, his to the backpacker and says in a thick Irish accent, You see this bar? I built this bar with my own bare hands. I cut down every tree and made the lumber myself. I toiled away through the wind and cold. But do they call me McGregor the Bar Builder? No. Do you see that stone wall out there? I built that wall with my own bare hands. I found every stone and placed them just right through the rain and the mud. But do they call me McGregor, the wall builder? No. Do you see the pier out there on the lake? I built that pier with my own bare hands, driving each piling deep into the ground so that it will last a lifetime. 
but do they call me McGregor the Pier Builder? No. But you fondle a goat just one time. <laughs> It's true that most often we are remembered by our lowest point in life, by the things that we are most ashamed of, things that we wish we could go back in time and undo. Things that we are surprised ourselves that we are capable of doing, and no matter how many good things you've done in life, we all have that ghost, something about us which we just cannot get rid of, and it's especially more damaging and painful when other people see that in you, and they only see that in you, and. Maybe perhaps in this room,、uh, many of us were trying to live life in such a way where we're trying to cover up all those things—the shameful moments. Maybe through being busy or having a lot of accomplishments, or maybe just moving to a new city and starting a new life.、Um, if that is you, you are in the right place. You are in the right place. So today's text we're reading from Psalm three, one through eight. The writer of this text is King David. It's a form of a prayer, and he is running away from his third son Absalom. Okay, and that's a good question. Why is he running away? Why? Is, why is his son trying to kill him? Well, first of all, if you're brand new to the church, if you've never heard anything about King David before,、um, you probably have heard about King David in terms of、uh, maybe. Uh, on TV or somewhere, where you know him of one of two ways: he is a guy that had the little slingshot and defeated Goliath when he was young, or maybe you you have you've heard of him as the guy that、um, slept with another man's wife, Bathsheba. Usually known as one of those two things. If you don't grow up in the church, so that King David, the one that wrote this text. He's running away from his son, third son Absalom, because his son is trying to kill him. Why is he trying to kill him? Well, if you have to go back to Second Samuel chapter thirteen,、um, what happens? And I'm going to tell you、um, the story. King David had had many sons. The oldest son is Amnon. Something about him was very wicked. One day, Amnon he calls.、Um, For his sister Tamar to come in, half sister Tamar, to he pretends to be sick and he has her make him some food. And when Tamar gets close,、um, Amnon tries to rape her. Now she pleads,、uh, she screams, "No, my brother!" She said to him, "Don't force me." Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Do not do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And notice here, and if the more you reflect on these words, "What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace?" is such a sad thing. <clears throat> to be in a position where there's nowhere you could run, nothing you can do. To undo what's been done to you, to feel so powerless, 
And the scripture says, because Amnon was stronger, he forcefully raped her. Now the news got to the third brother, and Absalom is a full-blood brother of Tamar. He gets angry, very angry. Word gets to David, King David. He also gets angry, but King David does nothing. And if you've ever been in a position before where you know that someone you love, someone you love dearly is wronged and justice is not served, you feel what we call a double injustice. Justice, the initial justice of the wrongdoing, followed by another injustice of not having justice served, double injustice. And so Absalom, he's reflecting on this, and every day that goes by, it's growing in him. He's feeling the anger, uh, the bitterness, and two years go by, two years, and his father does nothing. King David stays silent about the matter. Imagine what that does to you, does to your soul. It, it, it rots your soul. So what Absalom does is he gets to a point where he's so angry, he calls in Amnon, the oldest son, and he orders his people to kill Amnon. Following that, in the several years, um, Absalom, he is able to gather uh, other people to take overthrow his father's throne. And he does that by saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, hey, when this happened to you, did anyone come and serve justice? No. Is, don't you feel that it's, it's wrong that no one's coming to serve justice for you? You know, as if I were to be king, I would be a much better king. I would serve justice. I would make a far greater king. And people started to believe in him. And he was able to raise the army and chase after his dad. Now, the context is so very important here because... The more you hear about David's life, it's natural to think, why should God even listen to David, a person like David, right? And we, we do have to be honest about David's character. So let's dig even deeper, okay, about David's life. Um, here's a good question. Why didn't David do anything? regarding his son Amnon. Because I'm willing to bet if David had done something, Absalom would not have felt that way, and there's a good chance that Amnon would not be dead right now, right? Well, theologians, they believe the best answer is that David himself, he could not go through with any type of punishment because he himself has this struggle. He himself was guilty of a sexual sin and therefore, he didn't want to feel like a hypocrite by punishing his oldest son, Amnon. And so, what happened in that story? Well, let's, go, let's dig deeper into that story. Um, maybe you've heard of this. In this story, earlier on, David, he's walking on his rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba um, bathing. And he shouldn't have been looking, but he is... Um, What's the word for it? He is a creep. And he sees, it, I says it as I sees it. Um, he's a creep. And he calls, he, he orders one of the servants. He says, who is this person? 
And the person says, this person is married, uh, married to Uriah the Hittite. Regardless, he calls her over and he rapes her. That's David. That's King David. And in order to hide his shame and his wrongdoing, uh, he has a special plan. And the plan is to have Uriah the Hittite, one of the commanders, come back from war and have him go home so that hopefully when, um, when he goes home, he will sleep with his wife so that when she declare, um, she's already announced that she's pregnant, people will assume that it's Uriah, her husband, that impregnated her and not him. Well, Uriah says, no, I can't do such a thing when my men are out there in the war for me to come home and, and do this thing. I will, I will not. So David, realizing his plan is not going according to plan, um, he orders Uriah to be in the front of the army when they attack, and he orders all the men to withdraw. And Uriah is struck down. Basically, he, David turns into a hitman, and he orders probably not just uh, Uriah, but many other people that went uh, along with him. Uh, you have collateral damage there, too. Many people that died. So now David's a murderer. Now, you've probably never heard this one before. Um, it gets even darker. Does anyone know who Uriah the Hittite is? Uriah the Hittite was one of David's 37 mighty men. And when David was younger, and if you know the story where David was running away from King Saul for his life, there were 37 men, courageous men, who stuck by David's side. Uriah the Hittite was one of them. Basically, when David was at rock bottom, running for his life, Uriah the Hittite said, I'm going to put my life on hold, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to defend you with my life. That's the kind of friend Uriah was. And you see it, and you see the way that he talks. I can't be here while my man is out there. That's the character Uriah holds. And this whole time, Uriah being that kind of friend, and let's, let's be honest, friends, you don't get a chance at a friend like that in life that too often. You're lucky to have just one friend like that in this lifetime. And here's what David does. David takes his wife, rapes her, and then he goes about lying about it. And he doesn't try to make things right, and then he goes ahead and kills him and a whole bunch of other men. It's funny how just, just like in that one chapter, he like, he breaks half the Ten Commandments. This is, it's, that's even hard to do even if you try, but he just, just like that, so easily, he breaks half the Ten Commandments right there. And so David comes to a point in his life where Absalom, his third son, is, is chasing after him. Um, now, a part of me, if I'm very honest, I want to be more like Absalom, Right? I want justice to be served. But at the same time, it is so wrong to take justice into your own hands. Because Absalom, he wants to, he wants to kill his dad. He wants to kill. That's never a good thing, by the way. Um, David, David understands the weight of this. Um, in fact, his language, right, in the beginning when he says, 
Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you know people close to you who know about your ugly past, your ghost that haunts you, and they throw it back in your face. And this is the worst kind when they say, God will not, there is no hope for you. God will not deliver you. Look at you. There's no hope. That hits him hard. David's still human. But, he says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands assail me on every side. This is what David is saying. He's not saying, I, I'm, not, I'm not a perfect man, but even with my sin, what I do know about the Lord is that he is very faithful in being a savior. And so he says, the one who lifts my head. And do you understand? A lot of us, we go through life, yeah. It, and it's true. It is true. We are, we do face the consequences of our sin. We do. But ultimately, ultimately, and this is the glorious part. This is absolutely the glorious part. God is able to save us. And here is still a mystery. Why is God able to save us? Just like David, for someone like David, to have done all those things, how can he confidently say, Lord, you will lift my head on high, that I don't have to walk around with my head stooped down. How is that possible? Um, in the theological world, we have this term called typology. What typology means is that in the Old Testament, you see pockets, pockets and glimpses of the Christ to come, right? So, for example, you have uh, in the beginning of Gen Genesis, you see Joseph. He is a type of Christ. And what that means is, is that Joseph has a lot of great characters, but he falls short. Like even in the beginning of uh, King David's life, right, as a boy, he was able to save Israel with that slingshot by defeating Goliath. The question is, why should the entire nation of Israel benefit from David's action? It's very savior-like that through one person, many will be saved. But again, David falls short. In this passage, you see something. You see Uriah, who has very much the characteristics of a Christ-like figure who is innocent, and he dies. And so if you grow up in the Jewish tradition, if you're growing up in the Old Testament era, and you're memorizing the Old Testament laws and scripture, you're asking this very important question. Why is it that the innocent die, like Uriah, and David is able to be forgiven? That's a million-dollar question. 
And that remains a mystery. That remains a fog. That remains a shadow in the Old Testament until Jesus comes into the picture. You notice that in this mystery, it's very much similar to Jesus, Jesus and Judas. Judas betrays Jesus, the one friend, the one friend of a lifetime. But the only difference between Jesus, I mean Judas and David, is that King David believes there's grace afterwards. Judas did not. That is so important for us to remember because for some of you guys, you guys may hang your head down low because of a specific sin or many sins in your past. But if there's something to be learned about this text and about King David, it's the fact that it brings God much glory to approach him and say, God, I know that you are a gracious God. I know that you will deliver me. And we see the pinnacle of that in Christ Jesus. And this was even before in the Old Testament that he knew about Jesus. But he knew because of his study of the Old Testament that God would deliver sinners like David. And he does. And now, since I have... Um, a little bit more time. I know this is a, um, it, it's a sermon, sermon of in, its, in it of itself. Um, the reason why David is confident in knowing this um, is that maybe, maybe some of you guys know the Abrahamic covenant. Abrahamic covenant is, if you remember when Abraham, um, God tells Abraham to get all these animals and cut it in half and place it on opposite sides. And he says, while, you're de- while these animals are cut in half, you have to walk through the animals. I know that sounds strange, because in our culture, we don't do that. Do you know what that means in their culture? In our culture, when we enter a contract, you sign a piece of paper saying, you do your end of the contract, and I do my end of the contract. If you break the contract, there are consequences. Well, in that day and age, they did the same thing. The farmers would say, hey, for this amount of money, you will give me this amount of sheep. Or for this amount of land, you will provide me such and such. And they would enter in the contract by cutting the animal in in half and saying, um, as I walk through it, basically, publicly, what I'm saying is, if I don't follow up with my end of the contract, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And so God has his contract with Abraham. And basically, um, Abraham, when he, fall, he falls asleep and he sees a smoke go through the animals, what that means is this. And this is a mystery of the Old Testament. It means that even though we fail and we don't even live up to our end of the contract, God will. And you see that in Jesus that even though Israel fails and that we fail, that there is grace because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that is the beauty. And so, if you truly understand this, if you truly understand this, then you will notice that greatness in God's kingdom is not measured by how many great things you do, but how much you're willing to acknowledge how great God is in his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Lord, we want to say from the bottom of our hearts, we want to say 
you deliver us and only you deliver us. And Lord, it is absolutely true that we deserve hell. We deserve nothing but punishment. But Lord, you didn't kill us in our sleep last night. And you do have a purpose for all of us. And so, Lord, we want to approach your throne and say, Lord, you lift our head, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. And may we live life with a, a light heart because you lifted off, up the burden off of it and you put, placed it on Christ. We thank you as a church that when we look at each other, we don't have to see each other as what our past um, has, is telling us. Uh, we could see each other as redeemed people in your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.